This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And welcome to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for joining us. We're your hosts. My name is Marcy Davis, and my co host is my trusty service dog, Whistle. And we're thrilled to be with you today to talk about our favorite subject, working dogs and working animals. And today we're going to be visiting with our good friend, Bob Vogel. And Bob is a journalist, photographer, and he's also the senior correspondent for New Mobility Magazine. And he has a new article out this month in this month's issue of New Mobility Magazine called Grieving the Loss of a Service Dog. So we're going to talk with Bob today about his article and his own very personal experience about losing his beloved service dog. So you want to come right back after these quick messages as we talk about this subject that everybody's wondering about, but nobody's really talking about. So come right back. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Molly, here's your dinner. (coughs) Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. I'm so happy to welcome my good friend Bob Vogel to the show. Hello, Bob, and welcome. Hey, Marcy. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to be back here. Yeah, well, I'm so glad that you could come back and join us, although this is such a a heavy topic, but it's something that I know our listeners are always contacting me about and wanting more information as we all have to unfortunately go through this one day you know we always think about service dogs as those young healthy vivacious working animals we don't often think about the other end of the spectrum when our dogs have lived their lives and they come to the end of their life and you recently experienced that with the loss of your incredible incredible service dog Shotzi so yeah I sure did yeah yeah but before we talk about how you lost her I would love for you to start the show by telling our listeners a little bit about her when did you get her and and what did she mean to you 
Thanks. Yeah, it's uh, I got her in um, in 2005, and um, I had a, a a previous my first service dog is a German Shepherd that I got from rescue that I trained myself with the guidance of a professional service dog trainer, and uh, it took me probably a good two solid years to get him to where he was uh, service dog uh, oriented and and good to go. And I, I just did the math. I did not have the energy nor the time uh, now that I'm a dad and everything to train a dog that way. But I just love German Shepherds. And um, he was uh, he was retired. In fact, I found a great place for him to live with a wonderful woman. So I, I had this newly divorced, empty house, empty hole in my heart, and um, was looking around. A friend of mine was... Um, going to a, um, a dog training facility, and they specialized in German Shepherds. Cut to the chase, I talked with the head of the facility and told them what I was looking for, and they understood. I said, look, I know you don't do service dogs. This is the temperament and the tasks that I need the dog to do. I will, um, I'll handle the service dog training part of it. And it turned out I got lucky that they had a two-and-a-half-year-old female German Shepherd that they had just taken, bought back from a family that, that loved the dog, but the dog spent the day alone and was barking all the time because it was a working dog. And they said, this is going to be everything you want, but she needs to be with somebody 24 hours a day. And I saw her, and she looked beautiful, and we did all the paperwork, and I signed on the dotted line. And um, again, at age two and a half, she'd been well taken care of, had a great life, but had zero training. And uh, the trainer did all of her training from zero to finished service dog in five weeks. However, this is one of those dogs that was just hardwired to be a perfect dog. And from the moment I took her leash, she was just perfect. Wow. That's a long answer, right? (laughs) But it's so true. I mean, she was a really, really incredible, one-of-a-kind service dog. I mean, five weeks, that's unheard of. I mean, of course, she had had lots of training before that, but for someone to really be ready to be with someone, that's really incredible. And tell our listeners what some of the things... Here's here's what uh, I like to say in a good way, like a mutant. When I saw her, she was housebroken and everything, but really didn't even have the sit and stay stuff. So really? it was just one of those one in a million dogs. Wow. I mean, it's, it was one in a million that she was just genetically hardwired to yeah. be a service dog. And you had a great trainer that spent all, you know, but, but you and I, everybody knows, you know, I, I figure at minimum a year, year and a half of training for your average service dog. So yeah. this was just a, a genetic in the best sense of the word, a genetic mutant, that it was just hard. She was hardwired for this. And how long were you guys together, Bob? Pretty much almost 10 years. Yeah, let's see. Uh, actually, I take that back. Nine, nine years. And quite literally uh, <laughs> inseparable for nine years. Yeah, well, I know I just love in your article, which I do love the article, by the way, for so many reasons. But one of the things I really love about it are all the photos that you have in there of you two and your adventures over those nine years, which is really great. Oh, and by the way, I give a plug. Everybody can read it for free at newmobility.com. 
they go to that, and then uh, actually you'll see right on the um, the website in the upper right hand corner. There's a picture of me and Shotzi, and you can click right on there, and it'll it'll bring you the, to the article. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure and put that on our website as well, so that people can go to that. We'll link to that because I think that will help a lot of people. Because as I said a little while ago, you know, we think about our dogs when they're healthy and working. We don't really think so much about the end. And so tell us a little bit about when Shotzi, because she started slowing down, and but she worked up until almost the end, right? Yeah, I was so incredibly lucky that she, and when I got her, there was zero testing. She had no hip x-rays, no nothing, you know. It was just the trainer breeder said she comes from a line of real solid working dogs, and she... You know, little teeny things here and there, just vet stuff, but really had no health issues. And her main task was a mobility dog, so she was towing me. But I'm also super active, so I would go on 10, 12-mile mountain bike, hand-pedal mountain bike rides where she'd be running at high speed and running all over the place for 12 miles, towing my daughter in my lap through all kinds of huge theme parks like Kennedy Space Center. So she was also a big swimmer. I love to swim. So she had an amazing, amazing, busy, busy life and was just solid as can be. And nothing ever rattled her either. I mean, I took her everywhere. And she would just, uh, was one of those dogs where if it was an unusual situation, she would just kind of look up at me and if this is okay, I'm fine with it. Just checking in with you. Yeah, Um, yeah. Well, so so. tell us about when you started noticing that she was slowing down and and that you thought she needed to be retired. Yeah, so she made it right up until 10 and a half, as solid as can be. I think she was also very stoic, looking back maybe. So her hips started bothering her. And what I noticed is she was really happy to go out with me, but wasn't as enthusiastic as uh, as far as running out and playing when we weren't working and wasn't quite as enthusiastic. I would ask her to jump into my lap and give me a hug and stuff like that and uh, wasn't enthusiastic there. So I have a real good friend that's a vet. So she took a look at her and and, uh, essentially manipulated her hips and everything. And and she didn't, even there, she didn't give out any, like, yelps or anything. But she says, yeah, I can can feel, you know, there's a little bit of, I guess she could feel the way the hips were, that there was some arthritis there, she said, and the way she's uh, protecting her hips. And uh, also, um, her hips weren't as muscled as they were before. So she says, yeah, she's getting some arthritis there. And... So at that point, I said, okay, no more towing. Yeah, no more, I, I wasn't taking her on any long bike trips, but she still loved wearing the cape and still loved going with me and uh, got her on things like glucosamine and some anti-inflammatories, which really made a big difference. You know, gave her an extra almost year of just accompanying me places and feeling good, like feeling like she was working even though I wasn't actually pushing her through working. So again, I was so lucky that that last year up in, from 10 and a half until 11 and a half, she still stayed active. And then she went really suddenly. She, over a weekend, she started breathing really fast and wasn't eating and just seemed really, really stressed. And something was going on. 
And, you know, of course, it always happens on a Saturday afternoon and a Sunday. And by Monday, she seemed a little bit better. And she ate a little bit of food, but she was still, her breathing was kind of fast, and she still didn't seem herself. And I thought, well, I better take her to the vet just to be sure. And took her to my local vet, and expecting the vet looked at everything and said, well, you know, her abdomen's a little swollen. We should do an ultrasound. And I'm waiting there, figuring I'm going to get a big bill and get sent home with a bunch of expensive medications, and my biggest stress will be financial. And uh, the vet came out and with the ultrasound and said that there was a big bleeding tumor on her abdomen and uh, a couple other ones. And they said that if anything, she needs emergency surgery and that it's she says, you can never tell for sure, but with her age and what's going on and the fact that there's a couple tumors, it's pretty likely that it's cancer. And so it would be a major surgery. And, you know, at best, it would buy her six months to a year in the best case scenario. And to me, it didn't seem like it was going to be a quality of life. It looked like a real serious surgery to, you know, just have questionable quality of life. And then I said, at that point, I said, well, you know, what are my options? And I said, she seems good now, and you can take her home. And I said, well, you know, how long is she going to be good? And they said, maybe 12, at the best, 24 hours. And I mean, as I write, uh, it's it's like you just shot me in the gut. I just couldn't believe it. And But I had made this decision way in advance on the quality of life and what I would do in various situations. And I said, well, she's comfortable and happy now. I don't want her to be stressed like she was, you know, in between massive just sobs and completely breaking down. I said, I'd rather put her down now where she's comfortable and happy and, um, you know, just let her pass. And, and I was, although it was a complete wreck, I said, is there a way that you can get everything all set to go and the IVs and stuff and then let me go outside because she does not like the vet office. I said, can we go outside on the lawn and just relax and snuggle and, and pass peacefully there? And um, and the vet was amazing, and, and they did. And so we went outside, and I got to spend time and say my goodbyes and, and hug her and, and thank her for an amazing life. And uh, the vet said, just call me when you're ready. And she came in, and, and I was holding her and, and put the injection in. And as I write, in my perception, she's lying down, and when the injection went in, she uh, she let out this very contented kind of a hmm, like, like she normally would do, as just as she's falling asleep. It seemed just for a minute like her coloring and and everything. She suddenly seemed like she was just in the prime of her life. And in my subconscious, I'm thinking, great, you're fine, let's go. And that's when the vet said, you know, listening to her heart said, you know, she's passed. And so it was, it just, on the one hand, it tore me to pieces. But on the other hand, I couldn't ask for a more wonderful way for her to pass. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And and I, I love the way that you wrote about that, Bob, from your perception and thinking about her as in her prime. I just thought that was so beautiful for both of you to have that moment of peace and, and to just 
be present in the history that you had together and in that present moment where she was passing. Well, we are going to have to take a quick break and we have so much more to talk about. It's so hard to tear away, but we have some important messages that we need to hear from our sponsors. And we're going to come back and continue talking with Bob Vogel about his amazing service dog and, and what happened after Shotzi passed. So come right back. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. Learning to communicate with animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. And we're visiting today with our good friend Bob Vogel. And he is so graciously talking with us about one of the most difficult subjects, which is losing our service dogs. And Bob, you, you shared with us Shotzi's incredible life and her passing before the break. And I, I just wanted to ask you, do you, since it was so quick, I mean, you had to deal with that so quickly, but I am just so thrilled of what I always tell people is what you did is that you had thought about this and then had some quality of life in your mind of what you wanted her quality of life to be. You had values of what was important to you and you had a good relationship, it sounds like, with your vet. So do you think that those things helped you in getting through that crisis of losing her so quickly? They did. And I'm very fortunate. I I owe a lot of this to my folks. We've from age seven, there's been dogs in our family. As I write in the article, uh, you know, for me, a house is not a home without a dog. So my folks growing up, they would always talk about quality of life. And everybody has got their own. I would never put my thoughts into somebody else. So everybody's got their own ideas on quality of life versus quantity of life. And I think everybody, you know, I think it's important to think about that way in advance. In our family, it's always been as long as the dog is comfortable and, you know, happy, that's good. But um, we um, say that when it comes to the point that we're keeping the dog alive because we can't let go, it's not fair to the dog. And I had, with previous dogs when they had passed, I had never actually gone through you know, being the person that held the dog when they took their final breath and everything, either because I was out of town or whatever. So it's the day that is going to happen with every dog and, and every dog and dog lover 
dreads. That's a long answer. I'm so grateful that I had thought this through. So I knew the answers. And uh, I mean, they still came in between sobs and states of disbelief. But I knew that and felt good about it. And how did you deal with the grief and the days that, that came afterwards? That's something I wasn't ready for because I knew that I would just be sobbing and I knew that I should just let it go. And I, and I came home and was just, it was in the evening when she passed. And so it was just sobbing and, and called some of my family members, uh, my brother, and just shared that with them. Uh, to me, I know it's important to, to stay in touch with people. But then in the middle of the night, I woke up and just had this severe anxiety attack and couldn't figure out what was going on. And I was getting grief and anxiety to the point where I, I was I was retching and, and I, I couldn't figure out what was going on. Uh, I was really, you know, freaking out. And mm-hmm. uh, so two in the morning, I get online as a journalist will do. And I start looking up grieving for loss of a, a pet. And then I came across grieving for loss of a service dog and saw that it's uh, a whole new higher level because it's, um, they're your spirit animal. They're with you 24-7. And um, so there's so many extra things. So the first thing I did is uh, <laughs> the next morning is call you because I couldn't <laughs> find my... Uh, I remember reading your book, Working Like Dogs, and there's some phenomenal chapters in there on ways to uh, to deal with the grief and loss. And I called you, Marcy, and you were so helpful in, in um, just explaining to me that this is normal and, and to get to let myself grieve. And then uh, you, uh, as I recall, you FedExed me a copy of the book. I did, um, yep. <laughs> and the um, there's a couple chapters in there that, that helped me so much to just understand that what I was going through is normal and that, you know, eventually it's going to ease up and get better. For me, the main way I grieved was uh, a couple things. I talked with all the people that I knew that knew Shotzi, and so I uh, I shared that with people. I uh, I took time off and just let myself cry my eyes out. And once I started feeling a little better, I um, created uh, a um, just like a digital photo album and kind of went through all the stories and and everything like that. And uh, in fact, I have. Uh, it's a little on the top of my desk. I have a little shrine. About a week later, I got this. I had paid the extra money to have her um, cremated separately, where you get a little box and everything with her name on it. So I have this little tiny shrine, this little box with a little uh, little tiny wooden German Shepherd on it. So kind of feel like her spirit's there watching me work. And so those are the ways that I uh, that I worked through it and. And slowly, over time, every day, it, it got, you know, a little bit more tolerable. And um, it's slowly but surely faded to now, um, although I'm sad and I miss her, it's more wonderful memories and being grateful for a wonderful life. I also wrote a, um, a letter to her breeder trainer uh, thanking him for, because I remember when I he showed me to her and he said, you're never going to find a better dog. He said, uh, I tell you right now, this is going to be the best dog you'll ever have. And so I remember that quote, and you're absolutely right. Again, a lot of these are things that I learned in your book, and they really help. And it still hurts, but, but yeah. it helped 
Well, I think you made a great point, and and you know that is that when you lose a service dog, and and I had the same. I wasn't prepared for the grief either, exactly as you said. I loved Ramona, and I you know certainly knew how wonderful she was, but I wasn't prepared for like you said the anxiety when I lost her and what that meant. And it is so different than losing a pet, and that was what was so hard to explain to people is that. You know, I've lost pets, and yes, that hurts, and that's a terrible loss. But when you depend on this dog for your livelihood, and then when you lose that, it's a whole different experience. And the only thing that I could liken it to was was becoming disabled all over again, because that's how I felt. But I, I think another great point that you make and that I really want to really reiterate is just being present with that grief and being in it. And you just have to sit with it and be with it and hurt. And it hurts. Every cell in my body ached. And I did want to just scream out to the heavens. You know, I was just so hurting inside. And that's okay, you know, to really feel that and be with it. And it does. It hurts. And there's nothing that can make that really at that moment feel any better because of what you have lost. And there's and there's no getting it back at that moment, that relationship that we've had with that one individual dog. And I have to say that I've been through it twice now as Whistle is retiring. I'm like, oh, I just don't want to go through it a third time. But I know that we have to because I have to to have that independence of having a service dog. And I know that you finally came to that and decided eventually that it was time for you to get a successor dog. So can you tell us what made you decide that you were ready to take that next step? Because that's so hard for us as well. It is. And again, I I just keep steering back to your book because there's a chapter in there. I'm kind of spitballing here, but if I'm not mistaken, it's sort of, you know, are you ready to get another dog? And uh, everybody's different. For me, I... um, couple things. Shotzi was not trained in protection. She was a very loving, wonderful dog. But part of it is I just, I felt safer with, uh, you know, <laughs> with a dog there. And also in the middle of the night, just having that little nose kind of give me a little nudge. It just, there's that safety thing. It was very fast, actually, but I waited a couple months and I really did do the work. Uh, I just let myself sob and let it all out and, and did the work and thought long and hard. You know, am I ready for another dog? And I thought I was and actually am. But part of it too is I I did want to fill that big hole. And I know nothing, you know, I'm never going to get another Shotzi. But my whole life I've always I always wanted a dog. So that's when I started asking around and, and having people look for dogs here and there. And again, I'm, I'm one of those people that just for me, I've never gone the, the standard uh, service dog route. I just I really like shepherds. And I understand with the breed and everything, you have to be real careful and stuff. And so did find, um, found a couple different dogs that were contenders. And finally, um, I got a dog named Keeley from the same breeder trainer and kind of the same lineage that Shotzi came from. And uh, when I saw him, he was nine months old and had just phenomenal training. 
so, uh, you know, looked like a great dog and talked with the trainer breeder. And my whole thought was, oh, this is going to be great. I'll get a, a young dog that uh, he'll be ready to go at about a year and I'll get an extra year and a half which I quickly learned how absolutely much I did not know, <laughs> um, including why you generally don't have a service dog until they're at least one and a half, two years old. And the condensed version is I got Keeley at, uh, at a year old. You know, he just seemed great. Again, the trainer breeders didn't claim to uh, know anything about service dogs. I was the one that was going to kind of fill in that area. But when I got him, he was still so young that we've gone through some fear things, and he's still uh, he's a bit dog reactive, where he'd been trained, raised and trained at a, a training facility with dogs, but he'd never... I live out in the country on country lanes where every third house there's... Uh, fence with dogs barking at the fence and stuff. So um, now at a year and a half, I still consider him a service dog in training. His basic service dog commands and, and everything and grocery stores and, and all that stuff is just phenomenal. But he's still a big puppy and he's still interested in other dogs. And there's other things like for some reason, he's not a fan of kids on skateboards. And so that's <laughs> something that, that I've been working on. Did you have feelings of guilt when you first got Keeley for replacing Shotzi? I had made peace with that, but everybody's different. So I didn't feel guilty there, but I had really, I had unrealistic expectations of him. And if I had to do it all over again, I would go with an older dog and I would spend more time taking them to different areas and taking them where there's kids on skateboards and taking them. His trainer breeders, they meant well, but uh, I don't think they fully understand all the stress. I mean, I kind of consciously knew that uh, service dogs, your average dog, there's no way they'd survive because they're in these all these stressful situations where they just have to be mellow. And yeah. so, um, yeah, that's what people really don't understand is that level of stress that these dogs are under when they're out in public. It is. It's really stressful and takes a lot of training and a lot of socialization and desensitizing them to all kinds of situations. It's it's incredible. I've Keely. had one for so long, but yeah, it's 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 so yeah. hard. Well, and again, I um, uh, Shotzi was uh, one of those one in a million. She was just so alert yet so solid that nothing ever rattled her. With Keeley, he's he's more of a, a normal dog. I mean, he's just a, a great guy. But you know, I'm having to do a lot of work with him that I kind of wasn't prepared for, and um, I, I thought I knew a lot of stuff. And then I realized, okay, this is one of the reasons why the service organizations, you know, unless you know a lot about a dog, you could really get yourself in a lot of trouble. The service organizations know just yeah. this huge myriad of things that the dog needs to be okay with. And if they're not, with Keeley, he's... As he's aging and we're getting used to different things, he's getting better with stuff. And, you know, I, I think he's going to end up being fine. But case in point, there's an Abilities Expo coming up this weekend. And I am not going to take him to the Abilities Expo because to me it's not okay. He's very friendly and everything, but he sees another dog and he's kind of interested and he wants to play. Yeah. And that's, that's not <laughs> yep. okay. That's, nope. that's not nope. a service dog. 
Yeah, well, we'll keep our fingers crossed for Keely, and you'll have to come yeah. back again and, and tell us how he's doing, and, and we bet. can talk more about that process. But I, I do want to ask you one quick question before we go. Sure. I know we've, we're running out of time, but I wanted to ask you, Bob, if you had one piece of advice that you could share with someone who is now looking toward the end of their service dog's life, what advice would you pass on to them? Mm, well, I, I'll try and boil it down. I would absolutely get your book because oh, your book has you. so much great. It was vital to me. I can't remember three or four chapters that really helped me think about things. And and the other things are, it's so easy to go into denial. My dog's never going to get old. He's never going to die. She's never going to die. The best thing is to make the plans now. When are you going to retire the dog? How do you want the dog to pass? Make these decisions now. They're painful to make when the dog is healthy, but when they're all said and and done, it's so much easier because, you know, you're going to be a wreck. The other thing that uh, you and I mentioned (laughs) is, to me, the pleasure that Shotzi gave me is absolutely a thousandfold outweighs the pain of her passing. But it is something to think about. I do know people that either won't get a service dog or will never get another one because it is too painful to, um, you know, to go through that. So that that is something to think about. Um, In fact, I, I think you and I discussed this, but I'd like to leave it with just the general public. I saw this wonderful, um, poster. And it's got this beautiful, beautiful puppy. Actually, I take it back. There's a picture of a really, really old gray dog with kind of the glassed over eyes and stuff. And it says something to the effect of, if you can't love and care for this, and then the next part of the poster is this beautiful puppy, then you have no business getting one of these. Yep, that's it. Meaning if you're not ready to just love and care for your dog when they're very old and, and deal with everything, then a dog's not for you because not respectful of everybody loves a yeah. cute puppy. <laughs> you can yeah. always play yeah. with somebody else's. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But it, it's so true. I mean, once you get that dog, it's a commitment for life and it's until the end of their life. And you are going to have to make some difficult decisions as that dog ages and as their needs change and their abilities change. And it's tough and it's not for the, the weak hearted. Let me tell you, <laughs> as you know, it's not. Well, Bob, yeah. I can't thank you enough for being with us today and talking about this difficult subject. I really thank you for your openness and your honesty. I I mean, it really, it means a lot to me and I know it means a lot to our listeners. So thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thanks again, Marcy. And um, we'll talk soon. All right. I look forward to it. And thank you, our listeners, for being with us. We'd love to hear from you. So please keep those emails coming. And you know you can email me and Whistle at Marcy, M-A-R-C-I-E, at PetLifeRadio.com. So thank you so much. And we look forward to being with you again soon. Take good care. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.